Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. So would you look to your neighbor as we get started, and would you just say, better is one day. Would you say it like you actually believe it? Better is one day. Better is one day in his courts. That's what we read. So we're going to read it again. Psalm chapter 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. How about this? Oh, come on, psalmist. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know what he's saying to you right there? He's saying that God's worst is still better than the world's best. God's worst is still better than the world's best. I don't want to be my old self dwelling in the tents of the wicked. I know you think tent now, you think camping. No, no, no. Back then, tents were where the celebrities were, where the kings were, where the leaders were. That was the place that you wanted to be. A doorkeeper was the lowest job possible in a house. The psalmist is saying, no, If God is there, give me the worst. I'll take that over the best that this world has to offer. That's how important it is to be in the house of the Lord. Why? For the Lord God, verse 11, is a sun and a shield. He's a sun to light your path and guide you day by day. And he's a shield to protect you on the way. Along the journey. For the Lord your God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Look to a neighbor and say, favor... Look to your other neighbor and say honor Honor. like you want it, favor and honor. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in him. This scripture has been working on me all year, and we might park on it for a little bit. But if you know a man named David, David is the ultimate worship leader of all time, okay? This is the author of the majority of the Psalms. This is the, 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 worship, the OG worship leader is King J- David. And he wrote something that really just beat me across the head this week when I was studying it. Because it's pretty significant. And in Psalm 27, 4, it's going to come up on the screen. He said this. He said, one thing. Look to your neighbor and say, one thing. One thing. Say it better. It's snowy, but we can still worship. One thing. One thing I have asked of the Lord. This is what I desire. This is it. This is my one thing. This is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him 
in his temple. That's some beautiful language. David was a songwriter. He wrote, you know, if you like worship hits today, I don't know, Hillsong worship, Elevation worship, he was the top songwriter of his day. He had a way about words and he had a way about worship. He knew how to put the words together. I'm sure he sang that very, very nice while he played the harp. And his beautiful words, but I didn't come tonight to give you beautiful words. Can anybody handle a little bit of truth in this room tonight? See, I figured it's a snowstorm and I got the real ones, so I can just go for it tonight. Yeah, can anyone take a little bit of medicine tonight? Some real truth. You know what they say about medicine, right? The worse it tastes, the better it works. The worse it tastes, you know, Buckley's I think has a slogan as that. It tastes awful, but it works. Sometimes the worse it tastes, the better it works. You guys don't look excited. You're like, bring Clark Beckham back here for some worship, please. We need medicine. We need some good medicine. You brave the snowstorm, you can handle it. So here it is. David said, if I can just get one thing, I choose to dwell in the house of the Lord. I don't know if that's what I would have said. <laughs> if I can pick one thing to have forever, for all of eternity, I, I mean, I wouldn't pick something shallow, like a Ferrari, although that'd be cool. I wouldn't, I'd probably say I, I'd like peace or I'd like joy to be happy forever, but that's not what he said. He said, if I can just get one thing, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. Here's the word of God for you tonight, and it's this. There is a difference between visiting a house and dwelling in a house. There's a big difference, y'all, between visiting a house and dwelling in a house. To dwell in a house is to live there. To visit a house is to roll up on Easter and roll up on Christmas and spend a little time and drop a few bucks and move on. But to dwell is to live. A couple days ago, I was in the U.S. Um, I'm offended because my brother here has a Kansas City Chiefs hat right up front. And I was at the Buffalo Bills game and y'all beat us, if anyone didn't know. So that's a low blow, but that's okay. Um, and... I was driving back with my father and my, my brother-in-law and my friend, and we came across the border. And what do you do when you cross a border into a country? You hand over your passports, which I did. And the first question you almost always get asked when you cross a border is what? Where do you live? And if you think about it, it might be kind of crazy because he's got my passport in his hand. that says I'm a Canadian citizen, but he's still asking me, where do I live? And then I got to answer, I, I live in Canada, sir. And then he goes to the next person and asks and asks and asks. What I want to tell you tonight is this. Do you know that it is possible to have a passport to the kingdom, which you do if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You do, and there's nothing that can take it away from you. Do you know that it is possible to have a passport to the kingdom, but to not be living there? To not be dwelling there? Just like I've been a Canadian citizen my whole life, I lived in America for eight years. I didn't dwell here for eight years. I dwelt in another place, a warmer place, a cheaper place, where rent is not $2,900 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. Sidebar, I'm happy to be home. It's great. You can dwell in a different place than you have citizenship. So you, when you are born somewhere, you have a birthright to citizen, citizenship in that place. If you are born in Canada, you are a Canadian citizen and you have a birthright there, but it doesn't mean you have to live here. 
So too is it the same when we get saved. When we are born again, we have a birthright to the kingdom of heaven. But it doesn't mean that we spend every day dwelling there. It doesn't mean that we spend every day dwelling in the house of the Lord. My friends, you are saved by God's grace, but where you dwell each day is up to you. This is the medicine, y'all. This isn't clappy, clappy kind of stuff, okay? Where you spend each day is up to you. Last week, I told you that I started a new exercise in my life, that every night when my head hits the pillow, I ask myself a question. I say, Ryan, where did you live today? Did you live in the house of Ryan or did you live in the house of the Lord? And the house of the Lord doesn't mean church. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, whom did I serve today? Who called the shots today? Which house rules did I obey? Ryan's rules or God's rules? And my goal this year is to have more days that I say I served his house than mine. That's my goal this year. And I know it's your goal too. So here's the test. Here's how you tell where you dwell, where you really live. Where you live is where you spend the most time. So when your head hits the pillow after a long day, and you're left with just you and your mind, the phone is put in sleep, the book is put down, your head hits the pillow, let me ask you a question. Where do you dwell in that moment? Where do you go to? Do you dwell in the house of fear about tomorrow? Do you dwell in the house of insecurity? Do you dwell in the house of insufficiency going, I don't have enough to do what I need to do. There's no way I can do it. Or maybe some of us, do we dwell in the house of self-advancement or self-preservation or making more of a name or making more of a title or making more money? All those houses are different places than the house of the Lord. But where you spend the most time is where you live. It's your place of dwelling, where you spend the most time. Friends, the house you dwell in and the house you live in will determine everything in your life. You need to know that. The place where you spend the most time is going to determine the trajectory of your life. And here is the thing about different houses. Different houses have different rules. Would you look to your neighbor and say the title of this message, House Rules. If you're a parent and you're here with kids, remind them, House Rules. Okay, you know them, you got chores to do, House Rules. Different houses have different rules. And if you know when you go stay at someone's house, what do you do? You obey their rules. You ask about their rules. You want to be respectful of those rules. There's a lot of ways where that plays out in our life. For example, if I went and stayed at my friend's house and I said, hey, man, um, at 6 a.m. tomorrow, you're going to wake up and you're going to cook me some eggs, okay? Because that's when I plan to wake up. And then, you know, by 9 a.m., I'd like my laundry done, and I'd like my clothes that I'm going to wear put out. What? You're a guest in someone's house? My mom's laughing because she's like, that was my life with you for 18 years that you lived at home. That's not what you do when you're a guest in someone's house. That means you're dwelling in your house. Don't we do that with God, though? We set a schedule for him, and we make appointments for him, and we say, by March, i got to have the ring. Ring by spring, baby. By March, I got to have the ring. 
right? And by June, I got to have the promotion because I put in six, six months of work and I was only late seven times. That's not even that bad. I should have a promotion by now. I got to have a promotion. And then, oh, by December, I got to have the house. It's been 10 months I've been saving. I got to have the house. Houses are like $3 million now. Good luck with that. But you know, we do this, we set appointments for God and we set schedules for God, but I want to just tell you this, if you are set in this schedule, you are living in your house, not in his. We make appointments for God and when he doesn't show up, we go, God, you have forsaken me, you've abandoned me. We don't pencil God into our schedule. I told you this last week, he pencils us into his purpose, into his plan, into his love, into his grace. We don't get to set the schedule. Also, when you're in someone's house, and this happens to me a lot when I stay at people's house, you don't know where anything is. Anyone had that experience? It's like you go out of the shower and you go, uh, towel? <laughs> Awkward. Um, I'm hungry, but I, I don't know where the cutlery is. I don't, I don't know where the forks and knives are. You don't know where everything is in the house of the Lord, but guess what he does? And sometimes we're serving God and we're living in the house of the Lord, and we're going, spouse, where are you? <laughs> Single lady in the back, she laughed. Spouse, where are you? Where are you at, boo? How come I don't see you? God knows where the spouse is. He revealed it to you in time, but I'll tell you one thing, your boo ain't in the club. That's not God's house. That's not where she is. That's not where he is. But God knows where everything is in his house. In fact, he knows how many hairs are on the back of your head. So he certainly knows where everything is in his house, and he prepares a table for you. He gives you hospitality in his house. His house is the best house you could ever live in. See, when you are in someone else's home, you enjoy their level of hospitality. And different homes have different levels of hospitality. There's a big difference between a hotel and a motel. Who learned that the hard way? Right? The Ritz-Carlton and the Super 8 on Consumers Road right here are a little bit different. The hospitality is different. Different levels of homes, different houses have different levels of hospitality. But what I want you to know is that God does not want to withhold things from you. You are his son and his daughter in his house. He wants to bless you with good hospitality. He's got the Ritz-Carlton of grace saved up for you, baby. He's got the four seasons of peace. He's got Fairmont-level forgiveness. Choose your chain. He's got it for you, and he wants you to have it. And so many of those things we don't enjoy because we're not dwelling there. We visit there for a day. We pop in to the Ritz-Carlton for a day and go, wow, I wish my life could be like this. It can be if we will dwell in the house of the Lord, whose house you dwell in, my friends, will determine everything in your life. The enemy, you got to know this, the enemy cannot handle you dwelling in the house of the Lord. Because it's the one place where he can't get you. It's the one place where he can't take you out. Is when you are dwelling in the house of the Lord. David figured it out. That's why he said, my one thing, that's what I choose. Put me there. The devil can't handle it. So what he does is he tries to discourage you. And he tries to distract you, and he tries to do everything you can, he can to get you out of the house. And here's one of his biggest tricks. I struggled this, with this when I was young. He will make you think that because the house has rules, that it's not your home. 
that because God has set boundaries and restrictions, it's not your house. And you should have your own house and have autonomy and independence. He will make you believe that. He will make you believe that you don't belong in the house. He'll use tools like shame to try to make you believe that, no, no, you don't deserve God's blessing or God's hospitality. But my friends, this is the medicine tonight for you. This is the hard stuff. When you are in someone's house, you got to respect their rules. And if we want to dwell in the house of the Lord, we got to learn the rules and we got to find a way to respect them. For example, I love having people over at my house. I really do. I love it. It's great. But I have a couple rules at my house. And guess who pays the mortgage? This guy, okay? So I'm going to set the rules in my house. For example, if you come over to my house, you will not walk around my floors with your shoes on. That's nasty, bro. I've seen where you've been stepping. You're not going to come to my house and walk on my nice vacuumed carpet with your houses on. Guys, you got to understand something. I am married to an American, okay? More than half of my family is American. Americans are savages that walk around their house with their shoes on. Even in the winter. They go through all that slush and mush and mess and they come over. Guys, I have had my in-laws at my house. And you know how it is with in-laws. You're like, you're not sure what you can tell them. Like, can I say no? I don't know. It's like, I got to respect you, but this is my house. It's like, what do I do? I've had in-laws, my in-laws come over and walk around and I'm like... And then they get to my couch, which is white. And they put their shoe up on the white couch. Ah, <gasps> oh, the anxiety. I, I, I got to stop telling you this because it, it, it exercises me. That's a rule in my house. If you come to my house, take your dang shoes off, okay? Exactly. Thank you. That's how it goes. I'll get you some nice slippers. Fuzzy bunny ear ones. You know, I got them all. You can have them. I got another rule at my house. Every single one of you, I'm not kidding, are welcome to my house. You can come anytime, okay? Lindsay's down with this, my wife. She, we love having people over to our house. But I do have another rule. You better not show up without food. <laughs> you come to my house with no food, that door is going to shut in your face so fast. You come with chicken wings or with pizza or with donuts. Come on in, sister. Come on in, brother. Take your shoes off and then have a seat. There are rules in my house. And it's not so unreasonable, right? Like, you know, I don't think I'm crazy for wanting you to take your shoes off. It's not like some, some crazy person. But the devil, the enemy, would have you think that because God has set rules for his house, that you're not welcome there. Or that it's not good for you. Or that he's holding back from you. Or that he's trying to restrict you. That, my friends, is the trick of the enemy. It's the lie from him. You know why? Because he can't get you when you're in, the go in God's house. When you dwell with him. When that's where you spend your time. These are the house rules. And in God's house, there are house rules. My friends, there is objective right and there is objective wrong. God is the author of what is right. He is the author of what is wrong. You and me are not the knowledge of good and evil. You know why that tree in the Garden of Eden was called the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil? Because this was an exercise. This was an exercise for Eve and for Adam to determine, hey, are they going to decide what's right and wrong? Or is God going to decide what's right and wrong? And he doesn't withhold. He gave them everything except to decide what is right and what is wrong. But guess what the enemy did? 
he tricked her. He tricked Eve into believing that God was withholding something from her. And that God was stingy and he didn't want her to be like God. She was already created in God's image. She was already like God. And that's the trick of the enemy. The devil wants you to believe those Christians with all their rules and that God with his commandments and all these things, they just want to restrict you and control you. My friends, these house rules were not meant to harm you. They were meant to help you. House rules are not a bad thing when it's a good house. How about a casino? Y'all Christians are like, what's that word? I've never heard of that. I would never don the doors of a den of iniquity like a casino. Right. Sure, I've seen y'all in Pickering just down the street. Just kidding. A casino has house rules. And guess what? You don't get to negotiate with the blackjack dealer. Uh, no, I think it should be 22, not 21. Thank you very much. Pay me. What? The house has rules. And guess what? Just a little tidbit for you. In a casino, the house rules, the odds are extremely against you. They're in the business of making money. They set the odds for them and not for you. But in the house of the Lord, he doesn't want you to lose. He wants you to win. You are his son. You are his daughter. His rules are set to protect you and to save you and to give you victory, not defeat. It couldn't be more opposite from the house rules at a place like a casino. But he does make the rules. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He started your life and he'll be the one to end it. He was your beginning and he was your end and everything in between he gets to dictate. He, what he says is, is. He is the very definition of good. When we say something is good, it's because we have an understanding of what God is and that comes down and, and trickles down into something else being good. He's not just the definition of good, he's the antithesis of evil. He's the opposite of evil. He's the farthest thing on the spectrum from all that is evil and will harm you and will hurt you. And the best news about him is that these rules were set out of love for you and out of love for me to protect me. And he did it through the Bible, through the word of God. Hold on one second. I'm getting my Bible. I need it. Hold on. Pay attention for like five seconds. I'm here still. I've never done this before. It's like a big preaching no-no. This bad boy right here, this is the instruction book to life. You want to find the house rules? They're all right here. And every single one of them were meant to protect you, not to harm you. And you've got to study them, and I know you know them. You've read the Ten Commandments. I'm not here to beat you over the head with them and tell you all of them. But there are some that I bet you, if you're anything like me, you don't live by. There are some that are all over this Bible. And one of them I want to talk to you about. The first one, I'm going to give you three house rules tonight because I was told I only have four hours. So I'm just going to give you three rules tonight. The first house rule, we're going to get there quick and we're going to get back to worship. The first house rule is this, do not fear. Look to your neighbor and say, do not fear. See, you know what we've done with that? We've reduced that to some little encouragement and we put it up above our kitchen sink. Thou shall not fear. Don't fear. Do not fear. Do not fear is a commandment from your God. Just like Ryan McVitie says, when you in my house, you take your dang shoes off. God says, when you are in the house of the Lord, you do not fear. And if you don't believe me, look. 
2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Somebody say power. And of love of, and of a sound mind. What could you ever ask for more than a sound mind? That's what he's given you. Isaiah 41 verse 10 gives you that commandment. He says, fear not. That's not a little pat on the back. Fear not, my child. It will be okay. Holy Spirit as your comforter. This is a commandment. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. When you feel weak, he will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. He will be your helper. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you feel like you can't stand up anymore, help is on the way. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand if you will dwell in his house. This is not, this do not fear stuff is not this little encouragement to you. It's a commandment. Why is it a commandment? Because hear me when I tell you this. When you are living in fear, you will do things and you will say things and you will accept things that you would never accept absent of that fear. When you meet someone and they're acting real arrogant, you know, and they're projecting a real tough look, do you know most of the time those people are the most fearful people? They are so insecure about themselves that they have to project and put on this false display of power. I have a seven-pound annoying little dog. It's a bad story, actually, given the context of today. They know there. Anyways, I have a seven-pound little dog. You come anywhere near her, she starts barking like crazy and gnashing her teeth at you. You know why? Because she's projecting. She knows she can't do anything to defend herself, so she projects. She's a jerk because she's scared. Some of us, that's how we get. We're scared, so we become cold. We become pessimistic because we live in fear. We don't have hope anymore. We don't get our hopes up because then we can't be disappointed. Why? Because we're scared. Because it happened then and we believe it's going to happen tomorrow. Do not fear is a commandment. And in one particular translation of the Bible, guess how many times it's written? 365. Guess how many days there are in a year? 365. Every single day when you wake up, he is saying, do not fear. That's a rule in his house. <laughs> My friends, you shouldn't fear the devil. Do you know that the devil fears you? He fears you. When you wake up in the morning and you start praying in Jesus' name and your feet hit the ground, he starts to tremble when your feet hit the ground. The enemy is scared of you. We can't walk around fearing him. The only one that we should fear is God himself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's the only one that we should fear. The enemy is scared of you. Why? Because of Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Look. He's trying to get your attention. Look. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. All of it. Not some. All of it. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. What is the first manifestation that we saw of the enemy? A snake. This is saying that you have the authority to crush him under your foot. You don't need to live in fear of him. He needs to live in fear of you. And he does when you dwell in the house of the Lord. Here's the second rule, note takers. We're getting there. The second rule. And this one makes 
the first one a lot easier when you embrace this one. It might hurt, but it won't prosper. It might hurt, but it won't prosper. There is not a single person in this room that has not experienced hurt. And you might sometimes go, man, I serve God. Why does it still hurt? That church hurt me. Those people hurt me. Why do I hurt me if I serve God? That's the testimony of a lot of us in the room. you got to understand something, my friends. The Bible is not a sales pitch. It's, why, it's another reason why I love it so much. I tell you, I love this book so much. It's not a sales pitch. When you go to buy a car, guess what you get? A sales pitch. You see a video of driving on a perfect sunny 75 degree day, 22 degrees, excuse me. You, you see the car driving fast. You see smiles on the face. You see a great commute to work. Ain't no car dealer ever showed you the gas pump when you're watching your life savings just trickle away every time you fill it up at SO or Petro Canada. No car dealer ever shows you that. No car dealer ever shows you the insurance bill that you're going to have to pay in Ontario when you get a car. No car dealer shows you the mechanic going up, sorry, uh, your transmission is blowing, it's going to be $7,000. No car dealer ever does that. They give you a sales pitch. They only tell you about the good. Guess what? This is not a sales pitch. This tells you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help it God. That's what this tells you. And this tells you, my friends, that unfortunately, even when you dwell in the house, storms might still come. The rain will still fall. The wind will still blow. This tells you that weapons will form against you, but guess what? They shall not prosper. Weapons will form, but they shall not prosper. This is a rule of the house to embrace this as a truth. Isaiah 54, 17, you've heard it so many times. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Some of you, there's been some tongues rising up against you. You should be excited about that one. You don't have to worry about it. Why? Because this is the heritage. Look to your neighbor and say heritage. That's the most important word in this entire verse. You never hear it preached on. That's the most important word. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me. Thus saith the Lord. Here's the thing about your heritage. They can steal your money. They can steal your time. They can hurt your reputation. They can take away your job. They can make you feel small. Nobody can ever take your heritage from you. Your heritage is who you are. It's part of your identity. No one can ever take your heritage from you. And guess what? You can't ever take your heritage away from yourself. My grandparents were immigrants from Northern Ireland. That's my heritage. I'm Irish, whether I like my pink, pasty, pale, sunburnt skin or not. That's my heritage. I'm Irish. No one can ever take my heritage from me. As a servant of the Lord, of one who dwells in his house, your heritage is the truth that weapons will form, but they're not going to prosper. They're not going to take you out. You're still going to be standing after the weapons come against you. Just like you have an earthly heritage, my friends, you have a spiritual heritage. 
And you can never lose that. I love this so much because it's not a sales pitch. It tells you that weapons are forming. It's the truth. It's the most incredible book of all time. If you want to ever spend time in a book, if you think the Bible is boring, it's not. I'm sorry, you are. There's more drama in this thing. King David's life? Come on. You kidding me? Bathsheba? Like, you don't got to go to Netflix. It's all right here, baby. This book is not boring, but it's incredible. And if, if you're a logical person like me, if you're analytical and deductive reasoning is what get it, gets it done for you, think about it for a minute. You know how many words there are in this book? 783,000 in the King James Version, English words. That's this one right here. 783,000 words. You know how many people it was written by? At least 40. We know of 40 different authors in this book. There's more, but 40 that we know of. You know what time span this was written over? Over 1,500 years. Completely verified historically. No one contends that. That Genesis to Revelation, we have a 1,500-year gap. The world wants you to believe that someone just cooked this thing up to control you and to keep you down. You ever tried lying to your wife, married people? You know what you do? Not that I would know. You keep your mouth shut. You don't say much. Did you do the dishes? Yeah. Don't protesteth much. That's what Shakespeare says. You say a lot, you're going to get caught. 783 words and no contradiction? 40 different people who never even lived at the same time? Over 1,500 years? But it's just a cooked up scheme? That doesn't make logical sense. This, my friend, is a gift to you. It's part of the house rules. Use it. It's the truth. Truth is the only thing that stands the test of time. It's the first ever printed book. It's the most read book of all time. It's the most sold book of all time. And there's a reason. No other book even comes close because nothing works like the truth. Okay, that's it. Your third thing, let's get to the third point. The first one is do not fear. The second one, after you don't fear, is that weapons are coming. It might hurt, but it's not going to prosper. The third one is that you got to use what he gave you. When you go rent an Airbnb or a VRBO or when you go to that I don't know what spectrum you're on, the Super 8 or the Ritz-Carlton, or somewhere in between. I don't know. I'm in the middle somewhere. Wherever you go, you, you check at what comes with it. You see what's included. I'm going to the Airbnb. Are there sheets? Are there towels? Is there cutlery? What am I going to need along the way? Christians, God has given you so much. And you got to use what he has given you. His house not only comes with his covering and his promises and his protection, it comes with his armor. He gives you armor in this book so that those weapons that do form, so that you have something to fight against them. And the Apostle Paul tells you the armor of God. I wish I had time to go through them all and teach you, but I don't because we're almost done. But Ephesians 6 says this in verse 11, the Apostle Paul. Put on the full armor of of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's scheming, but with this armor, you can take a stand. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What is this saying? It's saying, Christians, you're saved, but you're still at war. There's still a battle. There's a spiritual battle happening every day. 
there's a battle between your flesh and your soul that's still happening every day. You're at war, and you got to use what he has given you to win that war. So what does he say? He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not a sales pitch, the day of evil is still coming. The Bible says, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm still with what? The belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And here's the one I want to tell you about. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. This is your sword. This is your weapon. Those things are the house tools. There are house rules and then there are tools that come with the house and so many of us don't utilize them. Let me tell you what a lot of us Christians do. We put on the helmet of salvation and we just start running around. I'm saved, so none of that matters. You go into a war wearing just a helmet and tell me how that goes for you. You got a whole rest of your body that needs protecting, bro. You know what would be real handy if you were in a battle? How about a sword? How about something that you could defend yourself with? We can't run around with just the helmet of salvation anymore. Yeah, we're saved, but God wants better for you in this life. He has life and life more abundant. We got to use the sword, and this, my friends, is the sword. It would be crazy to live a life and not use it. We got to use it. Christ is our example. Do you know that every single time, we're almost done, but hear this. Every single time that the enemy came after Christ, which were many, you know his response started exactly the same? He used the exact three same words every single time. He said this. He said, it is written. Every time. And then what did he do? He quoted the word of God to the enemy. When the enemy is coming for you, you only have one move, and it's right here. It's learning this sword and knowing how to use it. He didn't have to quote the word. Jesus was the word. He was the word in the flesh. You think he had to quote the word? He could step on that enemy, but he was giving you and me an example. He was teaching us how we deal with the attack. With the sword of the spirit right here. My friends, you got to use this thing. Young, young people that are in the room, I won't define young, okay? If you feel young, then you're young. If not, you're not old, you're just mature. And you probably say mature like that, mature, to sound more intelligent. You know? Young people, this is the time of your life to learn this thing. Not when you're old and you go through a whole lot of suffering that the sword of the spirit could have saved you from. You know, old people, excuse me, mature people, you know how they say it's hard for an old dog to learn new tricks? <laughs> it's not hard for old people to learn something new because they're dumb or they become dumb. It's because they're busy. You get old, you get busy. <laughs> you have, have, a, have a husband or a wife, then you have kids, then you have a dog, and you got jobs. You get busy, so it's harder to learn. Young people, this is the time to get the sword and to learn how to use it. 
So I hope that's what you do when you come here. Why? Because Hebrews 4.12 tells you this about the word of God. It says, for the word of God is living and active. I promise you this book is living and applicable to your life. It's not just a history book from thousands of years ago. It's applicable. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper than any other self-help book, any other good book that can teach you, look, I'm not against them. I read them all the time. A lot of good other books out there, but this one's sharper. Sharper than all of them. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and, the dis- and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Whew, I wish I could preach to you on that. There's so much there. But what you need to know is that this thing right here is your lifeline. You got to use what's in the house when you live in the house. This is your lifeline, and it will be your lifeboat to save others. So you got to use it. Friends, the enemy does not like when you dwell in the house. The enemy can't have you in the house. You dwelling in the Father's house is bad business for the enemy because you become a walking, talking, living, breathing testimony that he is greater than the enemy, that God is greater than the enemy. It's bad business. For the devil, when you live in the house and you don't fear and you use the word of God, the world hates when you dwell in the house of the Lord. You got to know this. The world hates it. The world's okay with that Easter little pull-up, that Christmas pull-up, that football interview after the game going, I just thank God first. The world can tolerate that. But you living and dwelling in the house of the Lord, the, Lord, the world hates that. The enemy hates that and we shouldn't be surprised. Because in Matthew chapter 10, Christ said, they will hate you because of me. When you become hated by the world, remember this, the world crucified Christ. Sometimes we think, oh, as Christians, everybody should love us. Who is our example as Christians? Jesus Christ, what did the world do to him? They put him on a tree and and slid spears through his side and mocked him. We got to understand that and we got to remember that. That's the hard news, but here's the best news. This is the best news. When you dwell in the house of the Lord, a house comes with a covering, a house comes with a protection. In the Middle Ages, a long time ago, you know how you were identified by your house Ryan, house of someone. And that was really important because if you came from a big house or a powerful house, ain't nobody touching you. You know why? Because they know if they harm you, the Lord of that house will come for them. They'll have to answer to the Lord of your house. Christians, do you know who the Lord of your house is? He is the one who created the universe and spoke it into existence. That's who your father is. We live a life in fear. You know what we got to do? We got to get some pep back in our step. We got to be like that bratty little seven-year-old. Do you know who my dad is? You better not speak to me like that, Satan. Do you know who my father is? Do you know what house I belong to? I am Ryan McVitie of the house of Jesus Christ, bought by his blood. That is your title, and that is the house that you belong to. Just the mention of that name makes the enemy tremble. Imagine a house so powerful. That when you just say what house you're from, the enemy backs up and starts trembling. That is the power that the house of the Lord has. 
And you were created to exist in it, not to visit it four times a year and to throw up a little Hail Mary. No, no, no. You were designed to dwell in it, to live in it. You were created for it. You were created for a purpose in his image out of love. Would you stand to your feet? Because this is now when we're going to go back to worship. we got some good worship left for you. After the message, is always the best worship. It breaks my heart if you miss it. Because this is when the Lord can seal the word. And I think for some of you, the words of Psalm 23 echo really true. You know Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. He is with you. Did you hear that word though? Yea, though I walk through. That means, Christian, you're not staying there. You might be in the valley right now, but you're just passing through. There is something on the other side for you. But even while you're in it, even while you're walking through it, I will fear no evil. Why? Because this is my father's house. And he's with me. And his rod comforts me. And it's a big weapon. His staff comforts me. And when I run away, he uses it to pull me back in. Because he's that kind of father that loves me. Some of you are in that season right now. Where you're in it. You're going through it at this very moment. I want to remind you tonight, though, of whose house you belong to. It's not prideful to declare that you belong to the house of the Lord. It's just a fact. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior yet, tonight is your opportunity to do that. I don't know about you, but I tried my house for a long time. The hospitality sucked. It was lonely. It was cold. But one day in the house of the Lord can change everything. One day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand in your own home or a thousand somewhere else. So friends, if you're in the middle of that valley right now, if you're going through, if you are staring down the shadow of death, if you are in fear, if you, if you are struggling with that addiction that you thought you would have kicked to the curb a long time ago, if you're still bitter about what she did to you, about what he did to you, You need to know that even when you're sitting right here in the middle, he has not forsaken you, and he never will. For someone in the room, you've forsaken him. You've been running from him. But guess what? Just like the prodigal son, if you will make a decision to turn back and look to the father's house, he will be standing there watching arms open wide not ready to chastise you for how you ran to embrace you and to kill the fattened calf and to celebrate at your return. So this next song is for the person that's in the middle. It's in it, man. And you don't know how you're going to get through it. But I just want to remind you what house you belong to. You have a protection. You have a cover weapon has formed and you're feeling it but it will not prosper I promise you it will not prosper the house of God has rules but the house of God also rules 
above every other house, above every other place, has dominion over every other throne. So put some confidence back in your step. Don't be timid anymore. Do not fear. It's a commandment from God. For he is with you. He is your home. This is your heritage. This is where you belong. In his house. Let's worship him.